Second Timothy chapter four, Paul gives a solemn warning for us to seriously consider. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a way of getting our attention. I warn you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is serious stuff. Who will judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Again, the context here could not be more sober. Paul says, keep in mind that God is sovereign, that Jesus Christ is Savior and the judge to come at the end of all time. It is his kingdom. It is his truth. And what's he charge us with? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths, to untruths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The um, Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, um, these words could not be more timely. Um, they're warning for us could not be more needed. Um, would you strengthen us in spirit and character to stand firm in you? Through Christ I pray. Amen. I remember when I was a kid reading Second Corinthians 4 thinking, how silly, how foolish do people have to be to reject sound teaching and instead to substitute it with false teaching just because it makes them feel better, just because it's what they want to hear. I mean, what kind of person would do that? You th imagine it must be some complete rep reprobate, right? Com some infidel uh, that, that just is completely uh, lost and never really sincerely following God. Well, today, sadly, we're seeing 2 Timothy 4 fulfilled in spades. Sadly, we read the newspapers, we read the, or the, the news every day, and ministers who once were trusted, who believed Scripture and taught Scripture and could not have been more orthodox, have now begun to turn. They've begun to teach things that the Bible says are not true. They're teaching what itching ears, what people in the world, they think people in the world want to, what, what they think is popular. I was reminded of this, but saddened recently. I grew up listening to Amy Grant. She has some of the best when I was a kid growing up, some of the best worship songs, some of the best songs to sing in a devotional time, 
um, some humble psalms, songs of, of, of God and his greatness and entrusting in his word. And so it was tragic recently when Amy Grant boldly hosted a homosexual wedding in her, on her property and ridiculed anybody, chastised anybody who might criticize her. I read recently of another preacher who, uh, very popular, um, I've had a lot of respect for in the past, but now he's boasting of, of uh, baptizing people who aren't repentant. Um, baptizing people who are saying sin isn't sin, and so they don't need to change. The question is, how do we get there? How do people who once who know the Bible, who are smart, respectable, how do they go from being believers in God's word to believing what itching ears want to hear? By the way, now do we understand Paul's seriousness when he begins by saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And by his appearing in his kingdom. Is it any wonder that Paul puts everything in that context? Hey, let's remember God is God. Jesus is Lord. He's the one that we live for. How do we get there? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 tells us, Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist. Stand firm. In 1 Timothy Timothy talked about people who wander from the faith. See, most people don't bolt from the faith. Most people just gradually wander from the faith. There's a little sidestep here, and then you step back. And a little compromise here, and then you step back. And a little bit more compromise, and a little bit more compromise. And the next thing you know, you're starting to accept what you would never have accepted in your right mind. Stand firm in the faith. If there's one thing that means that I would say is the, is the, is the key difference. One thing that keeps us standing firm is to stand firm in the absolute authority and truth of God's word, refusing to rationalize it away to make it fit what itching ears want to hear. Do you believe that the Bible is true and accurate or, and all that it intends to say, or do you believe it can be adjusted because we don't want to offend people? I was reading recently about such things and and, and this one writer said, of all the, the, these important essentials, none is more practically important today than the essential doctrine of the authority of Scripture. The undermining of the authority of Scripture is what leads to the gradual degradation of doctrinal, sound doctrine. Mark uh, Galley years ago in Christianity Today, observed this deterioration. He says, 
to be an, an evangelical used to mean one stood for certain theological convictions, penal substitution, inerrancy, and so forth. But now, many evangelicals take delight in defining themselves over and against some of these formerly cardinal doctrines while insisting on the right to be called evangelical. So they'll say, oh, we accept these. Uh, oh, that, that's not a sin. Oh, that's not a sin. But call us evangelical. Oh, we don't believe the Bible is always. We don't think that Paul was right when he wrote that. We don't think that David. I remember hearing a, a person that I really like and respect one time read a psalm and say, now David was wrong when he said this. It's like, oh, David wrote that psalm as a prayer and he was wrong when he prayed that. Huh. He said, um, I believe it's time that we graciously call such revisions what they are, non-evangelical. While we love those who disagree with our high view of Scripture, we can also be clear that teachers who do not hold to the Scripture's authority are not historically or theologically evangelical. We believe, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is exhaled by God. Is, is inspired by God and is therefore useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe, Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is flawless. We believe, Romans 15, 4, everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We believe in the word of God because we believe in the word of God. See, Jesus is the word of God, the logic, the communication of God. And Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect in every way. And so we believe in the word of God, <laughs> in what God has given us, and it's original, not necessarily the book that I have in my hand, but what God originally wrote was, was authoritative and true in all that it intended to say. Not what other people say that it says, but what it intends to say. Now, again, I would ask the question, how did we get here? How do you keep from making the compromise? I'm indebted to Francis Schaeffer, who years ago called... Our beliefs in the authority of Scripture, the watershed issue of our day. He said, in the future, what will divide Christianity is not denominations. It won't be whether somebody calls themselves Episcopal or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever. It will be, what do they believe about the authority of Scripture? And he said, the thing about a watershed, he used a different illustration. I'll, I'll share with you an illustration that works for us. The watershed is kind of like, you might look at the peak of your house and how there, you know, that the, the, uh, rain on one side, at, at the very peak, the rain may drop very closely to each other. But if it drops on one side of the watershed, it's going to go to one side of the house. If it drops on the other side of the watershed, it's going to go to the other side of the house. Now imagine the Chesapeake watershed. Theoretically, it's true if you could find two drops of water that are just centimeters separated, 
but one falls on the western side of the Chesapeake watershed, what's going to happen? It's going to go maybe toward the Allegheny and then into the Ohio and then into the Mississippi River until it finally makes itself to the Gulf of Mexico. On the other hand, <laughs> um, uh, this, uh, forgive me for going off the aside, my brother used to drive a tour boat around uh, Conneaut Lake and give tours of Conneaut Lake. And the thing about Conneaut Lake is it, it, it flowed into the, into a thing called French Creek or French Creek. French Creek went into the Allegheny, which went into the Ohio, which went into the Mississippi, which went into the Gulf of Mexico. And so my brother, as he was given a tour on this paddle, um, this, this, uh, this stern wheel, stern wheel paddle boat, um, would say, would say, would would tell people the path of the water, and say, "So, if you want to send something to the Gulf of Mexico, just spit over the side." Okay. Anyway, so uh, theoretically, you could spit on one side of the uh, of the Chesapeake Divide, and it, it watershed and ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. But then you, you just a drop a centimeter to the other direction on the other side of the watershed makes its way east, maybe to the Potomac, to the Chesapeake, to the Atlantic Ocean. Even though they began very closely to one another, side by side, practically indistinguishable, where they end up are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart because of what the watershed proves. And so it is with the authority of scripture. You can find many people today that would call themselves evangelical. You, you find people that, that once were teaching the Bible and what they taught and what we teach, very similar. In fact, maybe exactly the same. But the difference is what they really believe about the authority of scripture and our approach to it. If you say the scripture is absolute and we don't judge it, it judges us. And we understand it as historic Christianity has understood it. You end up in one place. But if your approach is, well, the Bible is sometimes flawed. And um, the Bible needs to be updated so that we're you know, in agreement more with our culture. People will then start teaching things that have never been taught in Orthodox, never been believed in Orthodox Christianity. And they will end up hundreds of miles away. Or they can anyway. But it all goes to what's your attitude towards scripture? What is your belief with scripture? By the way, I would just say in passing, that's why it's so important as we read scripture and try to understand what it says, that we don't allow ourselves to embrace new teachings in the sense. The question we have to ask is not, um, how can I make this agreeable in my generation? What we need to ask is, how has this been taught historically in Christianity. 
In fact, this is why we need to know, what did they teach in the first century? What did they teach? What did they believe in the second century? What has Orthodox Christianity believed for years? And when you find somebody who's teaching that something is true about Christianity that has only been true for the last 15 minutes, that for 2,000 years, Orthodox Christianity would have disagreed with that, but what, they, what they're teaching now disagrees with Orthodox Christianity, historic Orthodox Christianity, but somehow complies with modern day, the modern day worlds, then you be dubious and you be wise that we don't listen to teachers who say what our itching ears want to hear. Um, so um, we need to believe things like this. Uh, somebody writes, the scriptures were Jesus' rule. Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. The scriptures were the apostles' authority. The apostles were constantly going back to scripture. Um, the Bereans, well, well, Jesus, remember when Jesus went on the road to Emmaus? It, it, they're all dejected. Jesus says, why didn't you read the scripture? Don't you know the scripture taught about all these things? The Bereans hear Paul preach, and what do they do? They read scripture to see that to make sure what he says is true. Now, what they're talking about with scripture at that point is the Old Testament. But they're fine. Does what Paul have to say true with the Old Testament? Andy Stanley, a couple of years ago, said, started to argue that we need to, to, to separate New Testament beliefs from the Old Testament. I think, no, 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 the New Testament completes the Old Testament, but we don't dissociate it. Jesus did not say dissociate it. Jesus, in fact, said, if you understand the Old Testament, you'll understand him. You'll understand the New Testament. The scriptures were the New Testament church's guidebook. The scriptures must remain objectively true standard for our faith and practice. What do we believe? What do we do? We need to do our best to say what, to honestly say, what does the scripture say? Without scripture, we lose the gospel, we lose Jesus. And to lose scripture, to lose Jesus and his message, is to lose our hope. They are linked inseparably. They are a mutually um, complementary testimony. So what do we need to do? We need to be like the Bereans. Acts 17 says they, the Bereans judged whether Paul's teaching was truth or error. Um, they, that they eagerly looked at to make sure that what he said was true. So, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Um, when we deal with scripture, it's not like we're not accountable. It's not like, oh, we can do with it whatever we want. And, you know, God is gracious. He's not going to care. Uh, Paul's, no, no, no. We deal with it recognizing the authority of Christ. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and careful instruction. See, if, if we don't take the Bible seriously, there's nothing to reprove. There's nothing to rebuke. There's nothing to exhort because the Bible does. If we say sin isn't sin, 
if we just make the Bible agree with what modern culture says, we completely remove the power of the Bible to change us. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, will turn away their ears from truth and turn aside toward myth. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And one day, God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that we can have confidence in your word. I pray that you would use this conversation to help people think honestly and objectively and seriously about your authority and your word. Help us, Lord, to refuse to compromise, to go along with the culture, to be more popular or more easily accepted to those around us. Lord, I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who would go from place to place to place and preach Jesus and get beaten or jailed or thrown or, or tossed out of town, but he never compromised your truth. Help us speak the truth in love, but Lord, help us, help us to stand firm with the belt of truth firmly around us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Hope to see you soon.